You're listening to Talk with Renee Dallow, episode number 142, Talk About Business Building with Natasha Miller. Natasha Miller isn't your average CEO. She sits at the helm of Entire Productions, the go-to experience design, event, and entertainment production company in San Francisco, and has been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America for three years in a row. Natasha's passion and commitment to giving back drive her contributions and participation with numerous charitable organizations. She's also a jazz vocalist and a trained classical violinist. Natasha is a proud graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses and has studied entrepreneurship at the Harvard Business School and MIT and is a member of the Recording Academy, aka the Grammys, y'all, ASCAP, San Francisco Travel, and Meeting Professionals International, otherwise known as MPI. Natasha resides in San Francisco, where she is a member and on the board of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Many of us in the wedding and event industry start our businesses on somewhat of a lark and build it organically. But Natasha is here to talk about building your business strategically and everything she's learned from her many years at the helm. Go grab your coffee, grab your tea, friends. This is a great one. Let's talk it out. Welcome to Talk with Renee Dallow, this chat for wedding pros and creatives. Tune in every week for no BS real talk from industry experts that want to help you thrive in your business and your life. Here's your host, event planner, educator, and sushi addict, Renee Dallow. Grab a glass and get ready to talk it out. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Talk with Renee Dallow. It is me, your host, your girl, Renee Dallow. And this week, I'm joined by the lovely and fabulous Natasha Miller. Natasha, how are you? How am I? (laughs) I'm good. You know, I took my entire family, my two brothers, my dad and my Bennett, to this amazing dinner and show last night that I just knew was going to really touch my dad, but also I knew the rest of them would be, you know, into it. And they, I like, they loved it. So I was home late last night, up a little late today. My cat didn't wake me up. Like what, where were they? She's sleeping on the job. Literally. Very long answer to I'm great. How are you? Ah, Listen, I love that answer. What show is it? It's called Dear San Francisco at the Club Fugazi, where Beach Blanket Babylon played for 45 years oh and God, just yes. ended before the COVID pandemic. So it was amazing. Amazing. I think we underestimate, or at least sometimes I do, which is funny because my background was in performance before this. Yeah. But I sometimes think we underestimate or we forget, right, the transformative power of a piece of art. Like we forget that like, it will take us to a different place and we'll yeah. feel like we're not ourselves yeah. for a bit. Absolutely. And my two brothers are younger, you know, than me by four and eight years. And, you know, they're cool dudes. And I don't know if they'd like go to the show on their own. Their friends certainly aren't going to be like, hey, let's go to the show. They were transfixed. But it's it was so over the top. So anybody that's listening to this, just look it up. And if you happen to be in San Francisco, go. Oh, absolutely. If you happen to be in San Francisco, do a lot of things, frankly. <laughs> I have a long list of things you could do in San Francisco. Yeah. Natasha, you are here today to talk to us about building a business and how you built yours. And first, I want to start by saying you wrote a book, and I want to talk about the book writing process for a brief moment before we get into all that. How long were you? How long was it that you wanted to write a book before you sat down to write it? Tell me about the process. Okay. I think I knew that I would write the story of my life uh, since I was at least 30, 35. But I... And I've journaled since I was 10. So I had all that, you know, all those memories written down. But it wasn't until four years ago 
where I was at a conference for um, entrepreneurs that do seven and eight and nine figure businesses. We we're all gathered around to mentor each other about how to scale and grow our businesses that I decided or that I discovered that it was now time to write my story. And the reason why it was now that time, I think is because I had suffered so many incredibly low inflection points as well as incredibly high inflection points in my life. And um, I had some space that followed after that. So I was able to reflect. So I wasn't in it, right? I wasn't in the very highest point. I wasn't in the very lowest point, which I don't think is a good time to write a book or actually publish it. Uh, so it took me four years to write um, for various reasons. Sometimes it takes people 10 years. Sometimes you can write a book in eight months. I could write my next book a lot faster with all of the knowledge I have now, but I, I really appreciated that time and I liked the journey and I didn't want it to end. So I kind of hustled a little more, but something happened in early 2019 that just stopped me dead in my tracks. And I didn't know if I'd ever finish the book or publish it because of it. And yeah. I put it down for like six months, didn't write. And then, you know, pop my head back up and started. Now I'm not going to tell you what that is, but it is in the book and it's toward the end and it will blow your mind. Well, if that isn't a great reason to go buy this book, what's the book called? <laughs> it's called Relentless, Homeless Teen to Achieving the Entrepreneur Dream. I love that. Uh, we like to talk about book writing around here because I keep, well, I shouldn't say I keep saying I am writing. I don't know what it's going to become, but I like you, I'm a, I'm a journaler. I've been journaling for years and years and years. Um, so I feel like I'm, I'm open to seeing what happens, <laughs> but I don't know what it is yet. You know? Yes. Well, I will say this, a lot of my peers that are entrepreneurs that have multiple different kinds of businesses, not necessarily event planning, they write subject matter books and that's fine. It's a business card. It's a calling card for them. It, you know, has their stamp of like authority, but I will tell you that the response to my book, which is a memoir has been so much deeper and so much more catalytic. Like people are latching on not only to the content, but to me. Now, yes. if I had written a book that said, and, and this is probably going to be my next book, how to scale and grow your business by 65% or more. That is a subject topic. You know, that's how to, you know, build your business. And I think that will definitely leave a mark and I think it will impact people, but they're not going to have that connection with me. Right. And I'm just so proud of having done this. It's won four literary awards already. It's a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling book. In addition to being number one in over 10 categories on Amazon. And yeah, I'm pinching myself black and blue Amazing. all day long every day. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I think too, right now we're in, we're in a, a period of time in which we just want to feel connected to one another. So memoirs, I mean, I love, I love reading memoirs, but I also think we just are in a culture right now that we want to know each other more deeply yeah without ever picking up the phone or actually having a real interaction <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> uh, it's funny i'm laughing but it's not funny so talk to me about building a business because the audience of of this show specifically uh tends to be wedding pros and creatives who are in like the midpoint of their business right so like two to like seven years of mm -hmm. growth so when you look back to that period of your business, what yeah. stands out to you? Oh, this is a big bucket of muck. This is what stands out. 
I was very successful. I'm going to just lay it out here. I was at $1.5 million in revenue before I knew how to read my financial statements or cared. <laughs> I didn't have a firm foundation yeah. of business practices. I didn't have um, systems and processes as buttoned up as I do now. And here's my, this is the, you know, wrap up note. I have a secret of how to shortcut, like I have the shortcut and what the shortcut is to building an incredible business and being incredibly successful is do the work, do the work, learn the business, learn the, the bottom line skills that you need to have. Um, I didn't do that for the first nine plus years because it was a lifestyle business for me at the time. It was supporting my performing career. It was paying for, you know, my basic needs. And I wasn't thinking about growth, scaling or growth. Right. Um, so when I popped my head out of the murky hole I was in, I started really learning through um, Babson College, MIT, Harvard, entrepreneurial master's courses. And I really learned. And listen, there were no event people in those, in those classes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not yeah. one, right? And doing the work, learning how to build a business emulating other people that have done this before and then you can you can make things up and make them your own right you have to learn the rules to break them yeah mm -hmm. it's funny i think about this all the time and like you know because i am i am also someone who seeks out education specifically from people that are not in our industry right mm -hmm. and and oftentimes i am the only wedding industry person in in a mastermind or in a especially uh, i have a speaking coach and every year she does this like intensive weekend. And this is like this, I just went back to it because of course we didn't do it during COVID, but I, I was the only event person in the room again. <laughs> and I always think like, where are we? Right. But well, why do you think you resisted? I know it was supporting your, your performance, but what yeah. was the thing that made you sit up and say like, oh. oh shit, I actually have to know about this. Okay. So the resistance was I was getting accolades and I was getting like praised for being so entrepreneurial and creative and i was getting like outside reinforcement that i was so unique and, and interesting well that's great <laughs> that's them looking in me looking out if somebody if any business person said so what is your ebitda or you know what what is your monthly you know overhead i'd be like oh, what is ebitda and what are you talking about mm -hmm. like i'm not quite sure and how embarrassing, right? So if you are listening to this and you don't know what your overhead is and your monthly spend is and, and those kind of things, it's probably time to learn, right? Yeah, absolutely. And not hard to learn. There's so much data online that's free, but I'm going to tell you what, here's another secret. You will learn faster, deeper, and better if you pay to learn. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Skin in the game. Skin in the game, baby. I I mean, I've seen that firsthand in my own in my own yeah. learning. You know, I think the things we the things we invest in, we invest both money and time and brain space. And you have to resist really hard to learn something that you've paid for, <laughs> I think. Exactly. <laughs> At right. least my, my brain does anyway. Yeah. Um so when you were in um I'm just gonna ask the question that I think people are wondering. When you were in these more high level education spaces, did you ever feel intimidated by it? Yeah. I mean, first of all, when I stepped foot at that Goldman Sachs uh, program at Babson, I almost, I mean, I didn't almost leave, but my heart almost left when yeah. I saw people that were, that had businesses 
you know, there were front, um, Latino pharmacies, five, Lat this one man owned five Latino pharmacies. What do I have in common with the pharmacy, right? Construction. Somebody was like selling extracted vanilla. Oh, and these people had businesses that were $250,000 in revenue to 30 million. And they didn't see anybody that was like me. Yeah. And quite honestly, we look pretty good in the event industry, right? We gussy up, we wear a little statement jewelry. <laughs> That's right. And, um, I was like, oh, I don't think this is for me. And then when we started talking about like deep dives into financial reports and learning all of that stuff, I'm like, oh man. So it was uncomfortable, but I tell you what, after that course, which was a three month um, opportunity, it was a very deep dive. I could go head to toe, head to head with um, a CPA, a CFO, uh, someone with great financial literacy and talk to them about my business. And then when they gave me advice, I would understand what they were saying. Right. And that's not all we learned, but that's that was my Achilles heel. That was my challenge. My challenge wasn't marketing or branding or customer value prop proposition. It was, you know, it was the numbers. Yeah. Well, I think for so many uh, wedding pros, it is the numbers because I mean, many of us came into this industry because we planned an event of our own that we liked. And so managing one budget for a wedding is very different than managing a company's overhead and budget uh -huh. and knowing those numbers. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we think it's all the same, but it's not. No, 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 no. I learned real fast during um, the pandemic. I knew I had a big payroll. You know, I own an entertainment and event production company, which services wedding planners and corporate planners and such, right? I had a million dollar payroll. Oof. Let's just let that set in for a minute. And then in March in 2020, it, our revenue went to zero, yeah. but I still had a million dollar payroll. That's per year, by the way. Oof. Yep. That was painful. That was it makes my chest feel heavy. <laughs> yeah. wow. I was, you know, before the pandemic, we were all living it up. There were yeah. more events than the planners and the people could handle. That's right. Like fire hose of business city. So that was a big lesson. What was your pandemic pivot? Well, let's talk about the panic attack uh, first and then <laughs> having to lay off half of my team Oof. and then figuring out what the pivot would be. And so we came up for air and I created this really unique way to do virtual events that don't suck. And we ended up producing over 200 events that year. On, on virtual platforms, but we had to wait for our clients to catch up, even yeah. Google and Facebook. And, you know, they were all kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. And we we're like, hello, we're ready. Yeah. So it took a couple few weeks, like three to four weeks for us to start generating revenue again. And we ended that year. Now, mind you, the reality is my, my overhead was cut in half or less than, you know, like I cut slashed. Yeah. So we had some room to make a little bit of profit at the end of that year, which was a miracle. It was a miracle we stayed open. Yeah, no, I, it's talking about the 2020, especially is such a, I, it's eye-opening to me because I talk with most of my guests about it if they're willing. You know, we also made more money in 2020 than we did in 2019 because I pivoted so hard into education and and online education and summits and bundles and all the things that I could think of to support the community, you know, for so many, I mean, looks, we're all still recovering from that year, 
um, mm -hmm. and 2021, frankly, especially in California, it does feel there is a sense of like pride that I was able to, you know, serve in a different way for that period of time. And, and I wonder if you have that same about virtual, like, cause are you still doing virtual? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We will do virtual probably forever now. My business could double in 2023, 24 as yeah. person events come back. But the big companies are, they saw the savings. They saw the savings in travel, hotel. I mean, can you imagine how much money they save to do like their whole like town forums that they fly people in from all over the world? Now they yeah. can do it virtually and then they can be selective of when they gather people. Yes. I mean, yes. I also think too, there's, you know, it is, there is a safety in staying home. Like there is a comfort and safety of like, of that. I mean, I travel all the time to speak and it's a little, it's still a little scary out there, you know? Yeah. Yes, it is. You know, speaking of how long like virtual will um, live on, a dear friend of mine's mother passed away in Israel a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I would not fly to Israel. I'd never met her mom, right? I would support her. She lived here and, and attend the funeral if I were invited, but I got to be there for her virtually yeah. on, on, on a, you know, on a virtual platform that has really, you know, that has a, a very positive impact. I agree. I agree. I think, I think there's a point in time in which we were all very eager to get back to in-person, in-person, in-person only, but but I do like that some that these things are still available to us when like I still watch webinars instead of going to yeah. <laughs> I'd rather watch a webinar than go to a, an in-person uh, conference, depending on the, the the conference. Right. Like I'm still going to use those resources. And and like it's like my brother got married. My stepbrother got married a couple of uh, weeks ago and I couldn't fly back to New York for it. And so I got you know, I got zoomed in. <laughs> it was great. Awesome. It was great. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about mindset in this growing the business because i know for myself and you know my business is nowhere near the scale of yours but i know for myself you know my mindset in years one two three are different from four five six is different certainly now especially now as i look to what's next have you done dedicated work on your own mindset or was it something that just sort of happened for you and and how okay first of all i think because of where i came from and what i've had to endure i've had to um constantly be resetting my mindset and um, you know that was all done on my own i am not a super woo-woo spiritual person i don't use that language or the tone mm -hmm. but you know when i'm talking to people about my life story and and bring in like you know the the mindset piece my daughter is like mom you're just like those spiritual woo -woo people like what your message is the same but you just don't use the same vocabulary i'm like no i don't so, like how um, dare you that's not who i am <laughs> no offense to people that are like that but that's not who i am so but as i am educated more as i'm reading more and more by masters about how powerful the mind is and what can happen when you unleash it and let it think as big and wild and wonderful as you want and you're not scared to cap it and also not hearing from other people or not paying attention to other people saying that'll never work you know no one can do that mm -hmm. you don't have access to that that's not for us you know once you get over that hurdle you just want more and more and more so now i'm looking at how other people think all of the time because 
no matter how successful and how many awards and whatever, whatever that I get, I still have doubts and imposter syndrome probably every day. Yeah. And sometimes I have to like physically air guitar, move those <laughs> thoughts out of my way. Yes. Yeah. I love the air guitar imagery. I'm yeah. totally going to do that next time. I'm in my, <laughs> I'm in my feelings about get out, get out of my way, like oh. pushing air with your hands. Now I'm alone a lot. So it's not so ridiculous as it sounds, but I, mean, I think no that would make my husband laugh even if I did in front of him. I think that would be, <laughs> that would be a good one. I was at dinner with a friend a couple of months ago. Uh, she's not in our industry. And we were talking about like goals and successes and blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me dead face. She's, she's a really good friend of mine. And she said, do you ever feel satisfied? And I was like, no, like I just answered it immediately. And she, she like literally, I was like, no. And she's like, why I go? Because there's always more that yeah. I want to do and more that I want to be. And there's another version of me out there somewhere that I haven't figured out yet. And, and I don't think that that was true for her. And I wonder for you, Natasha, do you ever feel satisfied? I do actually, I feel overwhelmingly, um, you know, that, that pinch me part, that is a sign of satisfaction, right? Yeah. And I'm also 51. I've, I've passed the 50 mark. So I'm really able to reflect and really remind myself. I don't even actually have to remind myself. I'm saying this to remind other people to really just sit in the moments of joy and success and just, you know, revel in them. And then, yeah, then you can be not satisfied anymore. Like it's, <laughs> but yeah. I just sit there and I'm like a, you know, it's hog heaven. And I think that's important. And, and honestly, I sit in, like I was talking about the journey of writing the book. There were times where I just sat in that glory of feeling satisfied and, you know, happy that I was on this crazy, wonderful journey and I never wanted it to end. Well, if it never ended, I wouldn't have a book, right? <laughs> right. So you gotta, you gotta pick up and start being, you know, dissatisfied because that kind of, propels you forward. Yeah. And that's really what I meant by my answer to her as well. Like a sort of like, I'm happy. I'm happy. And I do look around. I mean, like I'm a poor kid from Brooklyn. Right. And I look around my life and go like, how did I make this happen? Like, what is even, what is this life? But then I'm also like, okay, but what's next? <laughs> you know what, Renee, it was your talent, but honestly, it was your mindset, right? It was. That thing that got you to where you're at now. It's not just talent. You can have talent and never do anything with it. That's so true. I mean, like when you were a kid, cause you and I both have, you are, and I was a performer. Did you always have that mindset of like, there's, you know, that like bigger, greater, something else out there for me mindset? Well, I sure hoped there was. So, yeah. you know, I grew up in the middle of the country and I was coming of age in the middle of the eighties. That is not a good combination for mental health yeah. and, you know, domestic abuse and violence, which I endured. So but I do know that there was always a pull. Like I would watch the show Fame, right? On my oh, TV. yeah. <laughs> that, that is what I want to do. So I did everything I could do in researching without the computer. Can you imagine that? Same. Do you know how many books and newspapers? And I used to, well, I lived in New York City, right? So I would buy backstage and read it right backstage for everyone listening. The backstage used to be a weekly printed newspaper that posted auditions. And I would buy it every single week from when I was like 13 on. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even remember how I found whatever I found, but there were two record or two performing arts schools that I just desperately wanted to go to. Now I had no access. We did not have money. I did not have support, but 
that was my way of seeing the potential. And then this is very funny, Renee, you'll laugh at this because, you know, I'm a singer. I play the violin, the guitar and piano, but I was like, I'm going to go to New York and be a Broadway star. Guess what I don't do? I don't act. And oh. I don't act. What the hell was I thinking? That's a little tough. That's a little <laughs> I never moved to New York. So I, I ended up moving to San Francisco and this is how I built my business. I was a professional musician playing violin and singing for weddings and corporate events since the age of 15. And um, I just, I just always knew there was something else out there for me. I didn't know for sure if I would ever get it, but you I mean, did. <laughs> I, I got a whole lot of it and even more, yeah. way more than I ever expected. I think like dreaming big and really allowing your dreams to like live in you, not like some far-fetched, like, oh, maybe that would be nice one day, but a real like knowing of what is out there. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that's the difference between the mindset that you and I are talking about and, and what, uh, and what maybe some very woo-woo people think like mindset is about, like, it's about a knowing in you. Mm -hmm. But then yeah, it's you're... also about a doing. Oh, you're... well, yeah. I mean, you have to do the doing. <laughs> like, what, what, what is your like best motto? And I'm like, oh, okay. So if you look anywhere for years, it's like, it's part of my imprint of who I am. Anywhere you see that I've said something or wrote down, you know, what my motto is. I stole it from Nike. Just do it. Just do yeah. it. Stop it. Stop waiting for someone to do it for you, to tell you how to do it, to give you money to do it. Just do it. And that's what I did. Talk to me about your relationship with risk. Because I know most entrepreneurs that I talk to that are very successful have an interesting uh, relationship with risk. Or do you think yeah. you're a risk taker? Yeah, I'm a risk taker. I will take a risk on myself anytime. But I, I'm not necessarily a risk taker in trusting and believing in other people or other things. So like, I would never gamble, right? I would never, that's silly to me. I do gamble, I guess, in the stock market, right? But I have incredibly educated wealth managers that do that for me. And then I trust that one entity, but I don't just trust them. I trust them because of the portfolio of people that they work with, right? So it's like an educated gamble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in my business, yeah, I am very risk. Uh, I, I have a very low risk, no high risk tolerance. Yeah. That's really common in, in, I mean, I talk to a lot, I interview a lot of people and that seems to be one of the bigger commonalities of the people that I talk to that are on the upper tiers of success in our industries is that they, they bet on themselves and they are not afraid. They're not afraid. I mean, period. That's it. They're not afraid. Or, well, or if they're afraid, they do it anyway. Talk to me about building your team. Cause I imagine you started out as a one woman operation. Uh-huh. I was very hesitant to hire full-time people. So I had interns, I had part-time people. And I think it was in 2009 that I hired my first full-time employee. And I started my business officially in 2001. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to source or qualify talent. I didn't even really know how to put together a job description that you know, a bare bones job description describes what you do day to day, but a more intelligent um, job description shows the outcomes of those things that you do day to day. And wrapping my head around that early in my career wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. But I really studied and learned how to add people to my organization. Honestly, I'm still learning. And I bet in 10 years, I will learn something like 
in those 10 years, I will learn mind blowing things that I didn't know today. So I don't know if I will ever rest at the expert level. And I'm not even sure there is an expert level, but um, yeah. it's a, it's the biggest challenge in running a business. It's not marketing. It's not getting clients. I mean, I think this is entrepreneur wide. It's managing the people, the human aspect of um, businesses. Do you wish you had hired full-time help sooner? No, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Nope. I was a doer. I was doing all the things in the business and that makes me, you know, an expert in our industry, right? I know how to run cables to a, a sound, uh, you know, soundboard. I know what a snake is and a DI. I mean, I know a little bit or a lot about almost everything in the event planning arc. Now, today, I work 20% of my time on entire productions, not in it day to day with clients and managing people. So there's no way I could get to where I am today without really having known all the things that I learned in those years. Now, now I'm starting, a, you know, I have, I'm, I have other businesses and the ramp is much faster to hiring because I know what I'm doing to an extent. <laughs> yeah, it's easier to hire when you have a little more clarity as about what you need. Yeah. A little more yeah. history experience. Yeah. What do you think are the the challenges of running an entertainment and like business that maybe other people in our industry don't know about or, or don't consider? You know? Okay, Renee. Can I get like super? Oh, this might agitate. Like, no, do it. Let's get no fucking real. And the people that are listening. It's okay. They okay. can take it. They're tough. You guys will have um, your own ideas of what the challenges are with working with someone like me. And I'm always open to hearing them because it only makes us better. But when we work with planners, the most difficult part about owning an event and entertainment production company is that our planners are not as organized as we would like them to be. Number one, I'm sure this is already just sending like tingles up anybody's back because the first feeling you have is defensiveness. I think that's what I would have, by the way. Yeah. Planners are so beholden to their clients that they don't often say no to them. And we just had a client that on the day of the event didn't have any regard for any of their vendors and changed all the timing. And this oh. was a high-end corporate event. And it sent massive waves of confusion and bad feelings. And, you know, some people felt like they were being, being treated unwell. That was them not managing their client or that was them not managing their own timeline. I don't know. Right. I can't, right. I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not, we're human. So we can't be perfect. Right. It's not possible, but we find um, so much time that we're trying to help our planners and you know what? I understand because as a planner, because we, we actually plan events too. It's a smaller division of our business. There are so many moving parts. Something's bound to get lost or, or screwed up. But that's, that is the, our number one challenge is our, our clients don't always have the support or the structure or the systems and processes. It could be lots of things um, to make the event go as excellent. And I never use the word perfect personally. No, me either. <laughs> and also people's versions of perfection are, you know, your idea of perfection may vary greatly from mine. And so there's not really a benchmark. Right. It's like saying something is beautiful. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's beauty is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> so again, and I think a lot of planners are artists and creatives first, 
and their analytical logistical logic side may not be as strong. And so that from our vantage point in 21 years of being in business is our number one challenge. It is not with the artists and the vendors. Yeah, that's interesting too, because as like a wedding planner educator, I, I feel like I'm, I talk a lot, maybe I don't talk enough about, you know, the idea that like as planners, we are professional middlemen, right? And so <laughs> we are, I mean, like we, we have to serve the client. That almost we have, sounded like you said, we're professional hitmen. Ah, well, sometimes <laughs> that too. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know, we do, we have to advocate for our clients, but we also have to make sure our vendor partners are taken care of and, and able to do their jobs in the best way possible. And I was just teaching a timeline workshop last week. And that's one of the things I talk about in making the timeline is like, you know, <laughs> let's stop telling our photographers how much time they get to do photos and start asking them how much time they need, right? Yeah. Like, how are we supposed to get people to do their very best work if we're, if we're telling them, well, I only have 20 minutes for you here. Like, I mean, and listen, sometimes that's true, Yeah. but it doesn't mean that's how the conversation needs to go. Mm. And similarly for, you know, entertainment, it's like, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I was a professional musical theater performer. I do not pretend to know how much time the band needs in between their, in between their sets for a break. That's mm -hmm. not, yeah. I don't have the, the, any idea that I'm the expert there. Right. So I, I think for planners. Acknowledge that they need a break. There's some planners, <laughs> yeah. people that were like, well, why can't the band play for five hours straight? Oh my God. They would pass out. People ask me that they haven't lately. Cause I think they know better, but I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's, it's because they don't understand the rigors of performing. And like, I, I don't think people understand the amount of energy it takes, really. Right. Correct. It's a muscle that you have to, I know, like, I, I haven't performed. I haven't performed in a musical since before I got married. So that's almost <laughs> 10 years now. Um, and I admit, I mean, there are parts, sometimes I miss it. But then I think like, oh, my gosh, getting back on that, even if I did it in a community theater level, right? Like getting back to that's any so sort of it's so much work oh my getting my voice back to performance ready, anything, getting my stamina back, like all of that is it's, it's tough. And I also think too, that it's like when we're dealing with, especially at weddings for entertainment, it's like, you know, that band might not play together every day. So they're coming together and having this, they're having their own relationship that they can't, that we, they don't want us to see, right. Cause they want us to see the polish, yeah. like, you know, perfection of it all but really it's it's work and it's a relationship and it's a negotiation every time they start playing yeah that's just how it is oh i could talk about this all day i love i actually love talking about um like planner vendor relationships because i think you're right i think i think at a certain level there are some planners who who lean so much into logistics that they don't they don't feel like they have any voice on the creative side of things and then i think as you get into the higher higher end markets what we see is a lot of people who are good at making things beautiful um, yeah, who don't have a lot of regard for how things flow, and yeah. I think that's for my theater background. I think I'm, I'm I'm more balanced than I think many people are about like making sure that the experience is good too. Yeah, great, thank for, you for, for everyone. It's important, <laughs> no, but I I think it's important to have the conversations because I think that planners spend so much. I think you're right. We spend so much time hoping for and receiving feedback from our clients that we very rarely stop to ask for feedback from the vendors because we tend to think like, oh well, it's it's good. They're good. They yeah. got, they, they got work. So they're good. You know, what I would love to put out there in this whole event planning universe is what we do internally. I would love for planners to tell their clients. And I know you're going to say that this isn't possible, especially for weddings, that there will be no changes, not taking, you can't take anything away and you can't add anything two weeks before the event period. End of story. Button it mm -hmm. up. What do you think of that, Renee? I mean, it, you know, it sounds to me like when I was doing new shows, how we would, you know, you freeze everything, you freeze everything 
a few days before opening. You don't touch anything. You list, you let it ride because mm-hmm. you're trying to see what works, right? Mm-hmm. I think for for clients, for, it depends on the client, right? Because I have some clients who would love that, who would love the ability to be like, no, sorry, I can't change anything, mom. It is what it is. Yeah. And then I have some who want to tweak and refine and mm-hmm. rethink and have the conversation and ask the questions, you know, up until the day of. Mm-hmm. I, hmm, I think that there is, I think it has to be weighed, right? If it's something minor, if it's like, we need to cut this song down by another 30 seconds, it's like, okay, well, do we, or is this just a new idea that you've had? But, <laughs> right? Or, but if it's like, hey, my aunt and uncle are fighting and they don't want to sit at the same table anymore and it's going to be a bad situation, like, yeah, I'll change that. You know what yeah. I mean? If it doesn't affect people, processes, timelines, systems, and it doesn't, you know, rock the boat fine. But yeah. I would like to put that into the entire, because we do this with our corporate clients. And here's the difference. Social clients, their whole lives, their whole dreams, since they were five, they were dreaming of this, you know, princess fairy tale situation. Corporate events, you know, it's it's less personal. And yeah. we get away with saying there's absolutely no changes two weeks before the event. If you make a change, you incur time and money, even if you're taking away or adding something, if you want to add $20,000 to your event, it's going to cost you more than that for us to implement that, right? Because it is our time. It is our timelines. It's our vendors. It's communication. There's so many things that affects and yes, we can make it happen, but at what cost, right? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I would love to see that become industry standard, maybe not two weeks for weddings, maybe one week, but you know, just, but in the bigger things, of course, two weeks, you know, like, because catering does it. Catering says, what's your final number? This is what you're getting charged for. Deal with it. Yeah, exactly. They do. I mean, they have to order food, right? Like, and, and some florists do it too. They're like, listen, the flower orders in, I don't care if 20 people, you still have two centerpieces to account for, you know, whatever. So why couldn't we say that with planners? I like it. Thank you. I'm into it. I'm into it. Thank you everyone listening for doing that. (laughs) Report back, you guys. Report back on the Instagram. Let us know how it's going. Um, Natasha, I feel like I could talk to you forever about everything, but I I don't want to take up your whole day. For everyone listening who is obviously building a business, that's generally who this audience is. Give us like your greatest hits of, you know, what you want people to know who aspire to be where you are now, this seven to eight figure business. Like, how do we get there? You have to really dedicate yourself, tunnel vision. A lot of people have families, homes, um, things they, you know, volunteer at. There's so many things grabbing at your attention. The way I got to where I'm at is very focused. Now that doesn't mean I didn't pay attention to my family and and outside world, but I made decisions, not sacrifices. That's the way I look at them. That's my mindset, right? Um, To learn what I need to do, do what I need to do, and just, just hunker down and get into that groove. Know when your groove works the best during the day. For me, it's 10 to 3, 10 a.m. to 3 is when I'm my best self for working and learn how to add people that would add value to your to your organization. Don't just wing it. I did it. Sometimes I made out well and sometimes it was not good. I fired a lot of people and it's not necessarily their fault. It's mine for not knowing how to choose better. So I think it's, you know, the education and the diligence and discipline. Would you say you have a pretty high uh, level of self-awareness. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. find that's common with all of my super high achievers that I talk to. Yeah. I know when I'm being ridiculous and I, I typically, <laughs> you know, apologize, but I try not to be that, you know, like, again, 
I've been on the planet for five decades. And um, <laughs> I think a lot, right? And I've been in a lot of therapy. So, uh, and then I, like if a client's acting like crazy or a vendor or whatever, I don't blame them. At the first thing I think of is what's going in in their life. What's going yes. on in their life that may, that is making, that's causing the situation. Now, if I say that out loud, someone on my team might be like, I don't care. I'm like, well, you have to care. Right. Right. You have to right. kind of figure out where they're at. Are they just being a complete jerk? If so, you don't need to work with them ever again. If there's something that's really challenging them in their life where they have, you know, you, you've got to figure a way to adapt with them to help them be their best, best selves. I agree. Lastly, I'm going to ask you about your self-care practices. What do you do to make Natasha whole? <laughs> well, it wasn't going so well before when I was launching my book. I really burnt myself out to the point where I could like barely think. So don't do that to yourself. But I like to put my kayak into the estuary and just like float around and paddle around. I like to walk on the beach, which just sounds so trite. Um, <laughs> I take some, I'm making myself go for a massage now. Like before I'd be like, I'm not taking an hour to go get a massage during like when I'm working, like that's not, <laughs> that's not disciplined and that's not being focused. But I'm at, I was at the point where I needed to do that. So I'm doing that. I got my hair cut for the first time in six months because I just didn't have the time. Same. <laughs> I did have the time. I just wasn't willing to give it to that experience. So a couple of days ago, my daughter was 81 degrees here in San Francisco Bay area, which is warm for us. And she called me and said, do you want to go to lunch? And she knew that that would be typically a, yeah, I'm too busy. No, but I was like, yes. And let's go to the pool too. This is at one o'clock on a weekday. Amazing. I did it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And thank you for admitting that it hasn't always been easy for you. I think self-care is something that has come more into the conversation after the pandemic or whatever part of the freaking pandemic we're in these days. And yeah, uh, are we in the middle? Are I don't know. In... It's like 3.0. I have no idea. Who knows? Maybe we'll go back into lockdown. I hope not. But who the hell knows right at this point? I was on Instagram, you know, like scrolling as we do. And I saw something that said, um, rest is part of the work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it really stuck with me because I, like you, I'm like, I can't take 45 minutes to ride the Peloton today. I have far too much to do, but it's like, <laughs> but I think nothing of spending 10 minutes at a time scrolling Instagram. Yeah. We blindly. Can do both of those. I can do them at the same time. That's generally <laughs> what happens, but no, I'm like you. I mean, um, I just think more attention to self-care is always, it's going to reap benefits. It's going to show dividends somewhere else. We just don't know how or why in the moment when we do it, we just have to trust that it will. So like every hour you spend with your daughter at the pool will yield something else, some other, you know, thought baby that becomes a new project that generates income or, or whatever, right? Like it all, it all just feeds into the greater good, which is just a happy, successful business in life. Yeah. And my daughter thinks I'm kind of cool now. Like for <laughs> you're a rebel. <laughs> you rebelled against your own rules. Um, <laughs> where can everyone find your book? Where can people connect with you on the internet? Tell us all the things. Sure. My website is officialnatashamiller.com. That has links to the book where of course you can get it on Amazon. It's an audible and it's 
um, my music is woven throughout the entire narration, which I voice. So Ooh. it's really cool. And Amazing. it's like a light lift if you're listening to a book, right? You can do anything. You can be on your Peloton. And then, of course, entireproductions.com. Love it, love it, love it. Y'all, we're going to link to all of those things in the show notes so you can find Natasha, buy the book, Relentless, and... Or listen to the Audible. I want the Audible like immediately. I love Audible. Yeah. I love listening to books while I'm like cleaning the house or doing the dishes or w- walking the dog. Like I'm in. Natasha, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, I mean, thank you. It's really great to connect, reconnect with you. You remember where we met? Pedicures in uh, Napa or Sonoma. Oh my gosh, that's right. That was yeah. 2015? I don't know, but it yeah, Maybe. I sat right next to you. And- That's right. We yeah. were at the Oso oh Inspired Conference. They took such good care of us. Yes. Yeah. It feels like it was another lifetime ago. It feels forever ago. But yes, that was when we first met. You know, it's so funny being in this industry for, I mean, I feel like I've been in the industry a long time, but certainly you've got me beat. Um, but it feels like some of you, I just feel like I've known forever. Like I don't, I, until you said that, I did not have a point of reference for that. But now that I'm like, oh yeah, of course that was when we met. <laughs> Yeah. And of course we've seen each other since and, and course, seen yeah. each other online, but um, I really appreciate you. And I loved this talk that we had. Thank you too. Thank you, Natasha. And to the listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week. You know what I'm always going to say, your time is really valuable. I hope you know that. And I do not ever take it lightly that you spend it with us. So we will see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now, friends. Thanks for listening to talk with Renee Dallow dive into the show notes at reneedallow.com forward slash podcast and connect with Renee at talk with Renee Dallow on Instagram. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.